Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the Tripe Supper. Gazette Borough's Middlesbrough Football Club podcast. What a load of tripe. Hello and thank you for joining us on the Tripe Supper 2. It's usually John or hosting this, I think this is only a second time on here for me. Uh, so I, do, right. I do hope you'll be all right. right you'll be all right. Um, Have we've got the theme music. And box sets arranged. No, but I remember <laughs> once when Jono did one, he was trying to come up with his own theme tune on it, on his own, rattling away on his own as we were doing it. I'm thinking, Blind Nora, I'm glad I'm glad I'm not the one in those shoes. But anyway, <laughs> I'm, uh, we'll we'll start with an apology because it, it's Friday now. Obviously, it's Sunday where where you are, uh, and it's Mark Schwartz's 45th birthday, uh, which got us thinking about goalkeepers of the past and 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 uh, those who've kind of came and gone without really doing anything at all. Obviously, Schwartz was a a long time number one at Borough. I don't know how many appearances he made off the top of my head. Should have probably checked that before we came 440. in. 440. There we go. Um, but while he was regular number one and then we've had a fair few since, there's been a fair few fleeting figures as well who, who've came and gone. If, if I was to say, kind of, blink and you miss them, who, who's the first keeper who'd spring to mind? Probably Jamal Blackman. Jamal Blackman. But, but, but Blackman had one game conceded... 17 Scott. goals and scored. <laughs> Got a goal, yeah. You know, that's, that, that's incredible. Yeah. In a howler. I'm going to name a couple of keepers just to start with. Um, Carlo Nash. Carlo Nash, Now, yeah. Carlo Nash was here for three years. How many appearances do you think he made? Well, I, I saw him play a few times at Sinners for the year. What was the reserves in those days? So the first team, five. Vic? Less. Three. Three appearances three. in three years. Uh, Sorry, it, Fewer. Fewer, yeah, fewer. <laughs> any, any guesses to how many clubs Carlo Nash rattled up? And this is including Clitheroe, where he apparently started out his career. Did have a lot of clubs. I'm going to go for nine. Twelve. Twelve. Twelve clubs in three oh, years. smashing this. Did um, you see Vic had a sneaky look at your notes before? <laughs> yeah, go, yeah, well, I did come in and turn it over. Turn it over. Let's go. We should have done. Um, Paul Smith was a, was a funny one, wasn't he? Why, why did Paul Smith come in? It was an injury, wasn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. Um, Steely got injured, didn't Yeah, he? Jason Steele was the regular keeper, I believe, wasn't he? And then, uh, if you remember, um, Conor Ripley, didn't he play at um, he played a couple Reading? Of games, yeah. Was it Reading? Uh, he came off the bench because Steele yeah. rib muscle. And then we just discovered, sort of, was it a Tuesday before a midweek match that Burrard uh, swooped to, to, to bring in Paul Smith? Yeah. Um, from Forest, from Forest on loan for the what? I think it was pretty much the rest of the season, wasn't it? Was it 2010-11? Yeah. When Mogga was the, the Mogga's first half yeah. season, uh, when he replaced Gordon Stracker. That's what. That's my memory of it. I don't know if you're any different, Vic, but I, th- I think one keeper who, who probably went on to enjoy surprising success when you consider that we didn't really see him before it was Jason Lightweiler, who's now had three caps for Canada. Uh, went to Shrewsbury, established himself there as number one. Probably, probably regret the fact he left because they're flying. And he's at Blackburn now. Mm-hmm. On the bench, I think. Isn't yes, he? yeah, 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 yeah. Do you remember anything of, of Jason like uh, that? I didn't see him play. You saw him play pre-season, didn't you? Yeah, and didn't he come off? Oh, I'll have to put he might League Cup. Didn't he come off the bench after Leeds when um, Jason Steele was sent off? Karanga's first game. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm having to think now. Uh, do you remember when yeah, Ayala's yeah, yeah. back? Ayala's back yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the end for Steel, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Was Steel, the start of the end. Steel, yeah, he had to have an operation and he was he was put into the naughty corner, wasn't he? I've got a feeling look while I came off the bench in that match. Obviously Dimmy was at the club then, so I could be wrong on that one, but um I, that but yeah, we didn't see a lot of him. Um he may he may have played in the old cup tie as well, but you're absolutely right. If you, you put a gun to my head now and said, Can you think of one standout performance from Jason Lutwiler, I'm sorry I can't do it. There's, there's some of those keepers who Paul Smith, for example, Lutwiler obviously obviously as we've touched on, Danny Coyne who's played a fair bit of football over his career, who who have been number ones elsewhere. But how, how do I've often thought this, Vic, and I've never really had the chance to sit down with a, a kind of perennial number two and, and, and discuss it. Where, where's what's the mentality? How how do you kind of go through a career and you only get one chance at being a footballer and some retire having made what yeah, 50, I mean, 60, 70 appearances? Mike Hooper at Newcastle was there about fifteen years, wasn't he? Steve Harper at Newcastle before he eventually yeah. broke through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it must be a strange mentality because obviously you, you train all week. You're part of the first team set up, you travel on the coach every week, you're in the hotel, you're roomies with, with first team players and then you sit there and you watch because uh, keepers don't very often get injured. Uh, so you might, you might find your career at a club is restrict, restricted to six or seven first round of the League Cup outings over the course of five, six, seven years. It's been mean, very strange. I mean, the, the, the way I mean, obviously Brad Jones, I mean, he's playing fairly regular it was last season playing for Feyenoord the one the title of course yeah but I mean before that you know he's in his 30s now probably uh, you, 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 you look at someone like him and you think well no one really knows whether he was ever going to be good enough you know for all for all he had so, you know he got a good move to Liverpool um, so he was a, you know played first team football football for Borough but never really convinced I would yeah. say got the move to Liverpool which caught a lot of people on the hoof um, and then obviously he's, he's made other moves since then. And again, the sort of the, the gun to the head question is: Brad Jones good enough to play high level football? And the answer I was probably I don't it's, know. It's an interesting case study because the stuff you mentioned about the, the second choice keeper is obviously it's a mentality thing. If you're the first choice, you know you're totally focused. You know that's your job. They shall not pass. If you're second choice, you know that you're only going to come in occasionally. So the pressures are going to be very different. And when Brad Jones was Burroughs standing keeper when he came in he had some really good games because I think possibly the pressure was off you know he's, yeah, still, he's in, for, traffic, yeah, he's in for one game he doesn't have to worry about the long term yeah. implications of taking control of the defence you know it's a one off gig uh, when he was the first choice keeper he didn't look like he had the mentality to deal with the relentless pressure. Because I wonder if there's a almost a, a clicking point where they, they accept that that's what they've become. Because when, it, when any goalkeeper comes through, when any footballer comes through, when, you, when you're breaking through in any sport, at any level, you obviously dream, you have your dreams. And as they're coming through, they're not going to think, you know, I, I dream of sitting on that bench for, for, for 15 years and playing number two. You wonder whether there is a, a point. Um, Phil, you've, you've spoken to Ross Turnbull relatively recently. You're in good terms mm. with, with, with Ross. Obviously, he went to Chelsea. What was his thing? Was it just, this is a move I couldn't... It, it's almost too good to turn down? I, I think there's part of that. I mean, I, clearly, the financial terms he was offered were, 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 were 
unbelievable I would guess I mean he's not obviously not going to tell me how much he earned but I mean he'll have had a decent offer from Borough I mean Borough missed the boat there didn't they they, they left the negotiations so his contract was up thinking that they'd hold all the aces because he showed all the promise yeah, yeah. I thought of yeah, yeah. I mean they should have had that deal done a year in advance it's, it's, it's raking over all calls now it's you know it's gone it's done and dusted but they, they made a mistake there they let his contract run down and of course in his final year at Borough he was getting exposed he was getting the exposure of first team football and for me he was a better keeper than Brad Jones and I think a lot of people agreed with that obviously the coaching staff didn't they, they, they thought Jones was the better keeper and that's their, that's their choice I think the situation was he was a free agent one of the biggest clubs in the world come knocking and now I wouldn't have thought that he thought he was going to walk straight into the first team at Chelsea he was what, early 20s at the time wasn't he um, and if it's but I think his other, his other argument would be, and I, he's actually told me he didn't know whether he'd walk into Borough's first team if he stayed. Mm. You know, the, there was that it, clearly the people at Borough didn't regard him as an automatic number one, so he, he, it was kind of a no brainer. Well, do I go to Chelsea and be the number two, number three, or do I stay at Borough and who had been relegated, of course, as well, um, and, uh, and, and fight for my place there? And I think he, he probably thought, well, I'm not going to get in the first team in the first season, but. I would imagine you thought if I have a good solid couple of seasons as the deputy, who knows, I could be the number one in a couple of years' time at Chelsea. And there's also that thing, you know, he wouldn't have been badly paid at Burr again, but you go to Chelsea on a four year contract, you set up for life, yeah. aren't you? Your family's made, you, when that contract comes to an end, you're still a relatively young man, and, you know, he's still in, he was still in his 20s. You're a Chelsea goalkeeper yeah. suddenly available. In exactly. Now, I thought his career would have kicked on from Chelsea, and who knows, maybe it's the interruption of those four years of not getting regular football, yeah. starting his development, because he's, he's never really kicked on. But, but he'll always be able to look back, and, you know, he was, he, was, he was on the bench for a European Cup final, wasn't he? How would you assess Jason Steele's career then? Because, again, he was a Another when he came through the ranks, I, I, I liked Steele when he was at Borough. I thought it was hard done by that talk ranker in his in his early time. Um, obviously, he went to Blackburn and, and, and was number one there. He's gone to Sunderland this summer and is having a rough time. Do you think he could have kicked on a little bit more, or do you think he's probably found his level? Uh, hard to say. I mean, obviously, he was very highly rated, and uh, no, he's played. He's played uh, under twenty ones. He's played in the Premier League. He, he played in the Premier League, didn't he? Yeah, he certainly played at a high level, and then he got an unfortunate injury at a time when there's a managerial change, and if the manager doesn't fancy you, you're very much, uh, you know, you're victim of circumstance. And the problem, the problem with being a keeper is there's only one in the team, so it's not like you're vying for four places. You know, it's not what you know one into four, and the turnover of keepers is relatively, relatively slow. And once you're established, you could be there for three, four, five, six years. So once you're behind in the queue, it's a decision that you have to make. You know, am I going to bide my time or do I want to play football? And again, it comes to that mentality thing of do you want to be a second string keeper? And he didn't. You know, he wanted to play football. So, you know, uh, fair play to him for saying, you know, I'm out of here. Uh, I don't think he's ever found himself at a club on the up where he could establish himself over the two, three, four seasons that you need uh, in front of a stable defence at a club that's on the rise. I, I think a lot of football uh, comes down to luck. Being in the right place at the right time with the right team and the right manager and suddenly your career takes off. You play behind the uh, other, well, look, otherwise you become a job in, you yeah. know, have boots, will travel you know, tradesman. I mean, you must be sat there thinking, if only I had the chance to play behind the, the defence at Aitor Karanka, yeah. organised... You know, or if only had the same opportunity 
that Shea Given had and that Dimi Constantopoulos had, which was to play behind a defence in a team where it was set out to be hard to break down, hard to beat. Now, that's not to disparage Dimi you know, or Shea Given or anybody else. That's just, if you're absolutely right, what Vic says there, it's about luck and timing, isn't it? You know, I think some of the players that have come into big clubs and flourished, you know, classic example might be the Neville brothers at Man United. Now, if they go into a Man United team that's struggling, or they're going, if they start their careers at Bury or Oldham, they may never have flourished into international footballers. They came into a great environment that nurtured them. So there's, there's so much about football that's luck and being in the right place at the right time. And I think Jason Steele's a classic example of that, that he seems to have, he seems to have just been lucky in, 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 in being in the wrong place at the wrong time. We, uh, we often branch off topic if you listen to Tribe Supper 2 and, and talk a bit of non-football before going back to football. Um, Saturday, yesterday, tomorrow, whenever it is, I'm uh, heading for Old Trafford for the Rugby League Grand Final. Uh, I've been a couple of times before, always a great day out. I remember the first time I went scouting for girls came on and played on the pitch before <laughs> I thought what the hell's Didn't going on James do it a couple of years ago that would have been good I yeah. saw the Wombats do it as well actually right, yeah, right. that wasn't too bad but yeah. I thought you were going to say the Wombulls no yeah. when, when scouting for girls <laughs> came that on that was Eddie Waring in 1977 <laughs> at Wembley yeah. Stadium I thought, I thought it can't get any worse than this but it's a, it's a class day out if yeah. you've been to any rugby league game it's a, it's a real kind of enjoyable relaxing if you're not on the pitch I've been the one in my lifetime and it was the um, it was the 2000 and was it 2003 2004 um, Tri-Nations I think it was England Australia or Great Britain Australia and um, I think New Zealand and it came down to showdown between the England and Australia Ellen Road and I thought I'm going to go I have to go I've never been and it, it, there was, everyone hoped that this would be Great Britain's year yeah and of course, they were about 30 points behind after 20 minutes. Darren Lockyer was just absolutely destroying them. So it was a great occasion, but I've got to be honest, I didn't know too much about what was going on. You, you know, it's like yourself from watching a certain sport. You, you start to understand the dynamics, don't you? And what to watch for and, and what to... Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like rugby union where no one has a clue what's going on. It's a proper sport. But... Bodies on the ball. <laughs> well, last week, uh, I was saying in the office earlier this week, last week I was at the, the Leeds Hall semi-final and the first half I found myself in the in right smack bang in the middle of the whole end. Um, second half I found myself in the Leeds end. Anyway, first half in the whole end, Leeds are... I think there were a score up at half time and Phil Bentham was the referee he was one of the more experienced senior referees in the Super League and the whole fans were giving him absolute pelters and if you've never watched a game of rugby league before you're thinking God this fella you know this fella's having an absolute shocker Um, you know you've got your lead shirt on against against Bentham (laughs) over and over and over again second half end up in the Leeds end Ten minutes in, sure enough, they're on the Leeds <laughs> Bentham! He's had an absolute shot. And honestly, it was, if he, if, I mean, you say, don't you, what, what referees must hear. If he'd heard anything, he must have thought, well, I don't know whether I'm having a good game or a bad one here. Um, sporting events, Vic, away, away from football, kind of grand, major sporting events, anything that tickles your fancy? Well, I'll watch, I'll watch big events. Uh, I, don't, I don't engage with most sports at the... At the the lower level to be honest it be, when things become a phenomenon or an event and they get traction on telly I'll watch Wimbledon last two or three days first week no thank you uh, and that, that's that's how it is, is for me I mean for me foot, the attraction of football is uh, the, the fact that you're emotionally engaged in it and you know all the nuances the other stuff it's a TV event for me I was saying Phil obviously you're a big cricket fan and I went to my first 
uh, cricket game. It was a, it was a testing in West Indies at Edinley a, a few weeks back. Um, it was a stag do. One of my mates stag do's and I'd gone down and met all the lads there. And, and the way I described it, and obviously this is this is like saying Voldemort in Harry Potter to you, but it's, I was the way I described it was I'm, I was sat waiting for something to happen constantly, and yeah. then when it did happen, I almost didn't realise it had happened, and then. You know, you wait for something to happen again. It goes, it goes back to what I'm saying. It's about the dynamic of the occasion. If you're used to football, I remember the first test match I went to, I didn't realise the game had started for about five minutes because there's no big hurrah build-up. I mean, it's, it's changed a little bit now. It's a bit more of an event. But I think you're absolutely right. You, you, if you're used to one particular type of sport, it's very hard to transfer that way of watching to another sport because they're a completely different... I mean, it's cricket matches over it's you know six seven eight hours depending on you know, weather interruptions and all that kind of thing. So you're not going to be hyper on edge like you are for ninety minutes of a football match. It's just simply it's impossible to maintain that. And um, I mean, in terms of occasions, I mean, I've been looking up to go to Wimbledon, and, and that's a fantastic occasion. I, w- I wasn't at a big final. Though. I mean, in terms of big finals, the one that stands out for me away from football was when Durham reached the uh, friend name of the co- competition has been called so many other things but it was the one day competition I think it was the Friends of Providence but don't quote me on that What's at Lords Cricket and um, I mean if you think of Durham's backstory, just very briefly this is the minor county that you know was given first class status and was 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 a, was a basket case for a few years bottom of the table every season got, got beat home and away and they, you know they eventually grew their own players and you know the whole thing about them being deducted points but 2000 I think it was the day Borough at Fulham uh, when they um, was it Mead or playing 2007 something like that anyway um, but yeah and it was just a, one of those days where your team turned up so Durham you know they put a good score on the board and then one of the most dramatic moments of sport I've ever seen in my life um, I was looking up to be in the press box behind the bowler's arm at Lords Otis Gibson's first two balls gets two wickets both caught by Michael DiVenuto not for two you've got people like Kevin Peterson on the Hampshire team you know, it was just an amazing spine-tingling moment of cricket and I was just watching people like Liam Plunkett out there well, as well that was a great moment like a Middlesbrough lad who I'd followed so that was, that was good and I think, I think if it was to say to somebody who wasn't a cricket fan to go to one occasion I would, I would now direct them in the, in, into a 2020 match yeah. Or 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 worse than one day match which had something riding on it because I do think it takes it, it's a quite quite a taste test cricket isn't it when I when I first came to the sports desk one one of the uh, regular jobs was to do Yorkshire at uh, Ackland Park and uh, I, I found the whole thing really strange half of the audience were asleep <laughs> seriously they turned up in their deck chairs they they brought picnics they were reading the Sunday Telegraph and they were just dozing off in the sun. And the people in the press box weren't watching the match because obviously they've been there for three days. It's a you know it's a, it's a three day match. Almost on, background on, noise. Yeah, on the on the Sunday there's a there's the one day game and they don't have to file their report for another two days. It's not like the urgency in football where the the moment is important, so you have to take notes all the time and and you're constantly watching because it's a a compact explosive event. And these blokes were just basically hoorays messing about. They, they weren't covering it in the same way that you would cover a sports event. There's certain sporting events, though, where you go to and, and the actual sport taking place is of secondary importance or secondary interest. I mean, the darts these days, you look at the darts, absolute boom yeah. in terms of TV audience and sellout audience. Premier League darts tickets went on sale this week. doesn't start until February, March next year. It'll sell out by Christmas. Yet when you watch it or where you're there, 
the, the, the amount of the, the number of people who are probably aren't really darts fans and B aren't actually what's what's happening uh, taking any notice of what's happening on the screen is it's staggering. It's just it's just about kind of being there, really. Isn't yeah, it? I don't I don't get the appeal of, of, of being in something. I will, unless you're just going as a part of a stag deal or something, and it's just about the drink with the as you say the darts as a background noise almost. I, to me, you know, it's probably a sign of my age. But I, if I'm going to watch world class sportsmen, and I think some darts players are world class, you know, it, you, you can say what you want about their general levels of fitness, but the the ability to put that arrow in the you know in the treble 20 time after time after time you know people like you know Taylor and Van Gerwen and people like that I think it's fantastic so I'd want to be able to you know if I'm going to go and see Van Gerwen play or whoever I'd want to actually come back and say I've seen him play not on a big screen you know when or or, or, you know sat at the back of Valley Pally with the 8,000 of the people to me the the joy of going the the great thing about sport for me and I'd say the same thing about live music as well you're seeing people at the top of their game in the flesh so it's a great honour when you see you know go to a football match and you see a great player have a great game and it's something you tell grandkids about I'm sure you know I'd I'd love to have seen Bobby Charlton in his prime or Bobby Miller or Pelle and and I think that's the same thing with sport I, I don't understand you know why you'd spend a fortune to go to a sporting event or indeed a, a, a rock pop concert, whatever you want to call it, and just be out of your just be out of your guard, you know, and, and and not be part of the moment. Because I think you know if you go to Wimbledon, you want to watch. You know, might have been Pete Sampras back in the day. I was lucky enough to see him play. You know, it was it was a real privilege to see somebody who will go in the annals of the game. You know, I saw Roger Federer play at the start of his career, and I'm quite pleased to see I've seen him. You know, not everybody gets that chance, so. For me, those those occasions, the, the great TV as you say, but it's not for me a proper sporting event. Players, back to football, kind of seeing football as a, and that's what I enjoyed about being in the Premier League. You see brilliant top class players every uh, every week, and, and we, we've we've had the honour, really, the pleasure of watching plenty over here uh, here over the years. When you look back at some of the internationals, um, Luis Suarez's son was recently pictured with a Borussia shirt on on Snapchat, which at first when I'd seen it on Twitter, obviously you grab you thinking, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> well, we we got in touch with uh, with Leo Perkovich. We'd emailed Leo Perkovich and basically just said, what you know, do, do you know how this has come about? And and he got back on and, and basically said, he's not one hundred percent sure, but it'll be Christian Stuani who's really close with Suarez. Not He'll have given him he'll have given him that shirt. Uh, some some bit of a world exclusive there in the tribe supper too. Um, I remember when I, when I first started the Gazette Vic, it was the year of the, the World Cup. Uh, and there was obviously a game on, I think it was a two o'clock game, a four o'clock game, and then a, a tea time game. And and you were doing a piece every day on kind of how various players or, or managers linked with Borough at some point. Yeah. And there was that at one point, wasn't there, where kind of every, I mean, especially late 90s, early 2000s, where every kind of major national team seemed to have a link with Borough. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it's that, that Kevin Bacon thing, isn't it? Seven degrees of separation. You, you can always find a link. Uh, for a spell of maybe 10, 15 years, Borough had an unprecedented golden era. And we were, we were buying people who were not, not people who turned out once for a club before they came to Borough uh, and played for the world in, in the World Cup 12 years ago. We were buying people who'd just been in the final. You know, Janino came here for his second spell straight from the World Cup final. Uh, and at one point we had five or six people at, at World Cup winners' medals. So uh, it, it's fantastic when you, you're that close to it because for years and years, you know, if, when, when a, a bill went out saying Borough swoop for international, you could pretty much 
Betty Bottom Dollar, it was going to be someone from Scotland or Northern <laughs> Ireland. I mean, suddenly we were in a position where you're buying people who've just scored in the Champions League final, or we're buying people from Barcelona and Real Madrid. And that's, that's that thing that you mentioned there about people at, right at the top of their yeah. game. That's what you want to see. That's when you know that you're really involved in uh, sport at the, at the highest possible level when you've got people of pedigree walking out every week. And some of the people we've had here over the years have been absolutely incredible. I mean, I remember, uh, Phil, obviously we did the On This Borough Day feature for a fair old while. Victor's on, on Twitter every day. Uh, and, and we used to obviously pull out the old pull-outs and have a read through. And there'd be a, a, a drop online at the end of the main story with, meanwhile, Borough still hope to, to complete the signing of Flavio Concesal before the end of the week. Darby seemed to be a summary, yeah. uh, regular on the back. Yeah. I think his face just stayed on and the stories were written yeah. around him. Um, you, you almost take it for granted don't you at the time when those names are... I, I think there's two things yeah first of all yeah it, not only were Borough linked with players of that stature you know, international Brazilians Italians Spaniards whatever you want we felt they had a chance of signing them you know particularly in the Robson era when Borough's £15 million budget went a massive yeah. way you know it changed when when the TV money enabled the Chelsea's and the Man United's and the Liverpool's to punch it above the weight as well but for a while Borough just a short window Borough had the spending power to match just about anybody. They'll tell you that. Steve Gibson will tell you that, and and that's how they're able to go out and sign um, boxing, boxing shop people like that. I think the other thing is as well that just doesn't really get mentioned enough is that obviously when Thurlow first signed people like Janino and Emerson, the, the narrative was why the hell would these Brazilians swap the Copacabana for the ICI Billingham and things like that? Now that was tired journalism then. And it was also incorrect as well. I mean, Janinho, for example, is from Sao Paulo, the, the, you know, Brazil's version of Birmingham. But setting that aside, I think what's great now is it, that's never a story now. No, nobody, you know, if Borough bring in, you know, Valdez or... or um, Which was a staggering case. Yeah, 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 you know, you know, you know the, the kind of players they've been bringing in over the last decade, as and when they've been able to afford it, no-one goes away from here criticising the area, or very few. In fact, most of the players, you, 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 you get the feedback, is that they love it here. They love it, you know, the, the, the training ground is fantastic, they're like, the people are really friendly, they're welcoming, they're, they're, they're grateful that you've decided to spend part of your career on Teesside when you could have gone elsewhere. And don't get me wrong, I know most of them are here for the money, that's why players sign for any club, the, the, the terms are right and the deal's the one they want at the time, or the only one they can get at the time. But I think that's great how that's turned around now. You know, if Borough get back in the Premier League next season and go out and sign a really high-profile Argentinian or Brazilian, no-one's going to be saying, what on earth is he doing there? Which well, is, no, no-one says it about Spurs players. They don't live on Tottenham High Road, do they? Yeah, yeah as we know, it's lovely, isn't it? Have you ever, looking back at all those big names that you mentioned, is there anything that come to mind where, where you got a phone call, you, you got a tip-off, and you thought, you know, surely not? The one that jumps out is Rivaldo. When, when Borough were linked with Rivaldo, I forget what season it was, it might have been about, it wasn't long after the World Cup that they won in 2006, it was, I think it was 2003. Because McLaren had been there, had he not? Yeah, the, yeah. The England... and initially that was, um, and that was Rivaldo, I mean, people forget, Rivaldo was this era's, sorry, that era's Ronaldo, mm. he was absolutely, for a couple of years he was untouchable, you know, he was like Ronaldinho, one of those names, um, for those of us who go back that far. And at first you thought, surely not. And then it, it, it transpires that there was a little bit in that. I mean, I don't know how close it actually came. But, you know, it would be like now being linked with Neymar. Yeah. It was that sort of name. And, uh, you, know, you know, so 
there was times when you, you kind of did a double take, but then also you just thought, they have done this before, they might pull it off again. Yeah. Especially when Robbo was in charge, because when Robbo was in charge, he, he would say, you know, uh, you know, if, if this season goes well, I'm looking at uh, uh, Batistuta, uh, Roberto Carlos. Well, that's, that's, what, Rob, that's Robbo said. I said and David right? Platt, and you just think, yeah. well, that, that, that's not bad, think, bad think, back page story. I, I think there's no doubt that had Borough stayed up in 97, they would have made some pretty impressive signings. I know speaking to Robbo, that podcast I did in the summer, and I was asking him about this, the famous Roberto Carlos, and I think he'd obviously gone over for Janino, and he wanted Roberto Carlos as well, and he knew it would be a push to get it past... Steve Gibson, you know, Keith Lamb for the money. But the only reason Borough didn't seriously have a shout at getting him is because he just signed for somebody else. Yeah. It wasn't because Borough couldn't attract him or that he didn't want to come because obviously he was massive mates with Janino. So there was that whole bring them both over scenario. So it's just incredible to think that Roberto Carlos, one of the world's greatest ever fullbacks, um, was, was, you know, within a, you know, within a, a couple of weeks of signing for Burr if Burr had been just that little bit quicker off the mark. And I remember you, you've sent me a number of occasions that Robbo was really open about it. Oh, yeah. When he used to kind of put these names to him yeah. or if you'd read or heard a name. Oh, he, he was, yeah. I don't think Robbo ever told us a porky, did he? No, he was uh, a very if, open and honest if, guy. If you asked him any question, he, he, would, he, he would be... Uh, he would give you an opinion about that player that might be off the record or whatever, but he, he would always tell you exactly what his thinking was. And his thinking would be something like, well, if I can, if I can get him... Then, like the perfect player to go alongside him would be like uh, uh, Robbie Fowler. I think Robbie, we could get Robbie here, couldn't we? <laughs> and you could hear the cogs whirring. But the thing was that you you almost believed it was possible because at that point, Borough had the finances to do it, and, and Borough were a story. You know, it's, it's hard to believe it now, but there was a time in sort of ninety six. 97, where uh, red books with a hot fashion accessory around here, yarn was a happening place, and there was a buzz around Borough in the same way that maybe in Italy there's been a buzz around Parma. Uh, back page news, weren't they? Yeah, this was a project that was taking off and it was happening, and, and players want to be involved in something like that. And when you've got Brian Robson at the head of it, and you know, he rings you up personally and says, Look, uh, if I can make it happen, would you be interested? That's a big, a big magnet. I think one of the reasons why Borough got quite a lot of stick from the national press in terms of the, the, the tired cliche about why would they want to come to Middlesbrough and not go to, to, to Barcelona or, <clears throat> or London for that matter was there was a lot of jealousy about. For once, the big club spending the money wasn't Arsenal, it wasn't Tottenham, it wasn't, or latterly became Chelsea, it wasn't Chelsea, it wasn't even to a degree Liverpool or Man United, it was little old Middlesbrough. Who do they think they are? buying these players like Janino, they've got ideas above the station, you know, and it came not long after Blackburn had upset the apple cart a little bit yeah. by winning the title as yeah. well, so, so suddenly the old order, the old football order, just for a couple of years, you know, it, it restored itself eventually because of, you know, the, the old, you know, sheer volume of fans as much as anything and also their, their, their buying power. For a couple of years, Burr and Blackburn, to a lesser extent clubs like Leeds even, were upsetting the apple cart and competing, you know, certainly in terms of signing players, that once over, you know, Man United would have just snapped the fingers yeah. and, well, we'll have him, we'll cherry-pick him. You know, it did, it did ruffle a few feathers and there was a lot of jealousy and a lot of bitterness and I know Brian Robson feels that he didn't get a fair hearing from the, from the national press. He has no book to bear with the local writers, you know, from the, from the, from the North East Press National Pack. But, but he did feel, and he, you know, he said, made a point to say that he felt that he never got a fair 
they felt they never got a fair crack from the from the from the national writers from London, who who, who didn't see him as like a serious contender and didn't see Middlesbrough as a serious contender. Thank you. We'll, uh, we'll wrap that up there. Thanks. Really enjoyed that. And, and remember that you can subscribe to our Tripe and Tripe Supper 2 podcast where, wherever you get your other, other podcast. And, and make suggestions for future uh, Tripe 2. Uh, absolutely. Topics. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you. Cheers.